All right, if you've got a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 19. That's where we're going to be tonight, Acts chapter 19, continuing in the study of Acts, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 20 before I pray. Acts 19, I'll start in verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices, and many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight to hear what you have to say. I pray we would listen. Pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts and our minds. Lord, I ask that you would move in our minds, that we would understand your word, that you would remove distractions, whether distractions from our school week or the weekend or something that happened just before we walked in. Let us focus. Move in our hearts, Lord, that we would not disbelieve you, that we would not be rebellious against you or doubtful, but that you would help us to believe. Father, and then empower our hands and our feet for your service as we go from here, that we might shine your light into every corner of our lives. Lord, we thank you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most popular movies of all time is a movie called The Exorcist. came out in 1973. Uh, If you adjust for inflation, actually, The Exorcist is the ninth highest grossing movie of all time. Uh, that surprised me when I read about it. The storyline behind The Exorcist is about a young woman, a teenage girl really, who becomes possessed by a demon. And her family calls in all kinds of exorcists and priests and all manner of people to cast the demon out of her. movie is famous for the fact that this girl demonstrates all of these supernatural manifestations of demon possession. So she speaks in a low guttural voice and uh, she levitates off of the bed and her head spins around 360 degrees. And it's a horror movie. And uh, people were fascinated by this movie. And to this day, people are still fascinated by this movie and by the concept of demon possession. Uh, I have never actually seen the movie, uh, but I understand it's based on a real-life incident actually surrounding a teenage boy, a man named Roland Doe is what they call him. That's not his real name. Who in 1949 supposedly was possessed by a demon. And apparently he had superhuman strength and he did all kinds of crazy things and all kinds of evil things under the influence of this demon and same kind of deal. His parents called exorcists out and over a course of several weeks, the exorcists cast the demons out of this boy. 
and he grew up and went on to live a normal, healthy life. Now, we hear stories like that, and we think, that sounds crazy. Maybe it interests us. Maybe it's exciting. Maybe we go, I'm going to go rent that movie or watch it if it's on Netflix today. On the other hand, some of us are terrified by it. I've never seen The Exorcist, uh, kind of because it scares the tar out of me. All right, the idea of uh, watching a movie like that, of thinking about those sort of things. And I think a lot of times we listen to these stories about demons and angels and all this, and we go, is that real? And if it's real, how do we respond to it? As Christians, how are we supposed to respond to the supernatural realm and to the idea of spiritual warfare? Now, we see it all the way through Scripture. And yet often, we don't really see that, at least as visibly, today. Most of us could not say with any certainty that we have experienced or seen a person experience demonic possession. But as you read through the Bible, it's everywhere. Demons and angels are active in the world. Now, what is clear in the Bible is that they are real. And the supernatural realm and the spiritual world is real. That what you see is not everything that there is. And that the forces of evil and the angels of God are active and present in our world. And so for us, we go, okay, how do I respond then to the fact that what I see is not all there is? How do I respond to movies like The Exorcist or a more recent one, The Exorcism of Emily Rose that came out a few years ago? How am I to think about spiritual warfare and angels and demons? Even more than that, how am I to think about just the activity of Satan in the world? Is he real? Does he influence me? When I'm tempted to sin, is that Satan? Is that just me because I'm bad? What is it? And what do I do? Well, we're going to look at a passage tonight that addresses this topic of spiritual warfare, not comprehensively, but one of the many passages in the Bible in which we see demons at work, and then we see the power of God at work as well in confronting those demons. Uh, We see the power of God operational through Paul and through the apostles and through their ministry and through the gospel. And what we're going to talk about as we look at this is how does Paul respond? How do the apostles respond? Here's the key that we're going to see. That spiritual warfare is never handled lightly or flippantly by those who follow Jesus Christ. And yet, Jesus is infinitely more powerful than the powers of darkness. That really is going to be the key as we look at this passage. If you know Jesus Christ this evening, then you don't have to fear demons. You don't have to fear sin. You don't have to fear death because you are aligned with the most powerful person in the universe. And that's what we see as we look at a passage like this. And so as we walk throughout our lives, we can move forward with confidence, not with flippancy, not with uh, silliness towards spiritual things, but instead with confidence that we are aligned with Jesus if you've believed in him. That's what we're going to see in this passage. Now let me set the stage a little bit. Paul is here. He's in Ephesus. Ephesus is a major city on the western coast of Asia Minor, which we now know as Turkey. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, Paul's second missionary journey. He had tried to go into Ephesus. When he approached Ephesus, the Spirit of God told him not to go there and rerouted him. He goes to Macedonia. He has a great ministry in Macedonia. Remember, they go to jail. He and Silas go to jail. The doors are blown off the jail by this earthquake. The jailer, his whole family trusts in Jesus. All kinds of great things happen in Philippi in Macedonia. Well, now Paul actually circles back around, finds himself in Ephesus, begins to preach the gospel to the Jews in Ephesus. Some believe, but the rest of them who don't believe kick him out of the synagogue. So he moves down the street to a place called the School of Tyrannus, which is probably just a Greek school. And for two years, Paul is in Ephesus preaching the gospel. That's where we pick up our story in Acts chapter 19. He is in Ephesus 
preaching the gospel. Now look at verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. All right, so Paul is preaching the gospel and as he's doing so, God is working miracles in order to validate the message. So God is healing the sick through Paul. He's casting out demons through Paul because I think God is validating that the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the message of eternal life, is the message of defeat over Satan and over sin and death. And the first thing we see right out of the gate as we look at this passage is that Jesus is stronger than the demons. Jesus is stronger than the demons. So much so, it says, that even handkerchiefs or aprons that are on Paul are carried to demon-possessed people and the spirits leave. Now that sounds kind of crazy to us, right? We go, okay, what is a handkerchief or apron? Well, back in that day, it was probably, the handkerchief is probably like a sweatband. He's wearing it around his forehead and as he sweats, he kind of will toss it off and maybe put on a new one. Or an apron he would wear around his waist, use it to wipe his face and toss up. People would grab those, take them to a person who was sick or demon-possessed. They would touch it and they would be healed. Now I read that and they go, that sounds crazy. And the reason is because there are televangelists who still use this passage and they'll sell cloths that supposedly are endowed with the power of God. I remember when I was growing up, there was a very famous televangelist in Dallas. His name was Robert Tilton. And I can remember watching this sometimes as a kid and he would stand in front of the screen and he would say, if you will send in a thousand dollars to this ministry, I will send you this prayer cloth. And I've prayed over this prayer cloth and it is filled with the power of God. And you will get it and it will heal you. It will make you prosperous. It'll fix your life. And he'd go, Acts 19, this is all in the Bible. So send a thousand dollars and I'll send this cloth. So I read a passage like this and I go, what in the world is going on? Well, I think there's a couple of differences here. Paul is not standing on the street corners of Ephesus hawking these things, right? Give me 500 denarii and it's yours. Instead, what's happening is that God is validating his messenger by an unbelievable display of power. Paul doesn't even have to be present in the room. People take these cloths, somebody touches the cloth, evil spirits flee, and they go, where'd you get this cloth? Oh, from Paul. What does Paul say? He says that Jesus died and Jesus rose again and he defeated death and he defeated Satan. I got to listen to that guy. See, the town of Ephesus was very, very superstitious. There were magicians and all kinds of uh, exorcists wandering around. We see that later in the passage. God meets these people where they are in a way that seems odd to us, but in a way that clearly communicates Jesus is so much stronger than the demons that even a little handkerchief carried by one of his messengers can drive out a demon. And this is reminiscent of Mark 5, when Jesus is walking through a crowded marketplace and there's a woman who has been sick for 12 years and she says, even if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. So she reaches out, she touches the hem of his garment and she's immediately healed and Jesus goes, who touched me? Now his disciples think that's crazy, right? It's like walking through Times Square on New Year's Eve and you go, wait, who touched me? Right? Because there's dozens if not hundreds of people around the disciples go look you see all the people jostling you why do you say who touched me and Jesus goes no I felt power go out from me and he stops the woman and he looks her in the face and he says go in peace your faith has saved you your faith has made you well what is Jesus saying my my garment my robe isn't magical what made you well was your trust in me 
What saves you is your trust in me. I think the same thing is going on here. What saves these people is their belief in the Jesus who stands behind the handkerchief or the apron, the Jesus Paul preaches. And as they're healed, they're coming to Jesus. And we see the power of Jesus even over these demons. Now, it raises the question then, what are demons? What are these things, these beings? As you look throughout the scripture, what we see is that demons are the angels of Satan. The first time you see Satan, Genesis 3, his goal is what? To deceive Adam and Eve into disobeying God. He lies to them. God has said, don't eat from this one fruit. You can eat every other tree in the whole garden. Don't eat this one because on the day you eat it, you will die. Satan shows up in the form of a serpent and says what? You're not going to die. That's not true. The reason God doesn't want you to eat it is because that'll make you really smart. God doesn't want you to get smarter than he is. You should go ahead and eat it. And he lies to them. And he introduces sin and he introduces death. As we walk through the scripture, we see Satan constantly determined to destroy what God has made and what God is doing. And he has angels. Matthew 25, 41 Jesus says that the lake of fire is destined for the devil and his angels. As you look at Revelation 12, 4, you see a third of the stars of heaven symbolizing the angels in heaven, a third of the stars of heaven cast down with Satan to fight against God. They are rebellious angels who follow Satan, God's enemy, and they will ultimately be defeated. But in this day and age, we see them active. What do they do? As you look at the scripture, there's a few things that demons do. All right, what do demons do? Well, for one thing, they try to destroy. Like I say, they try to destroy what God has made. First Peter 5a, uh, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. His goal is to take what God has made, whether it's your body, whether it's your mind, whether it is the things that you do and say, to take things that God has created and twist them and warp them and destroy them. So he can take a good thing like your body and try to tempt you to use it in ways that are destructive to yourself or others. He can take a good thing like your mind and twist it with lies, or at least attempt to. So he tries to kill and to destroy. As you walk through the scripture, there's a number of ways he does that. He can cause insanity. You look at Mark 5, there's actually a guy sitting in some tombs. He's naked, he's crazy, he hollers out night and day. Nobody can restrain him. They put chains on his hands and feet, and he breaks them apart because he's got superhuman strength, and he takes stones and he gashes himself. And the demons say, your goal is just to beat yourself up, bruise yourself, destroy yourself. And he's crazy. Until Jesus comes in and casts all of these demons out into a herd of pigs, and then the demons kill the pigs. Because their goal is to destroy. But what happens? The man is now clothed in his right mind because of Jesus. They can cause insanity. They also, interestingly, sometimes can just cause physical disease, mutinous, blindness, epilepsy. You see this throughout the Gospels. That there are certain cases in which someone has what we might just call a physical ailment that the Bible attributes it to a demon. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Okay, they also can inspire false teaching. 1 Timothy chapter 4. That in the last day, some will depart from the faith and they'll listen to doctrines of demons. They'll listen to the lies of the enemy that say Jesus is not the Son of God. Or that there are multiple gods. Or whatever it may be. It's interesting. The purpose of the demons, their mission in life, is to destroy what God has made and to thwart God's plans. 
Now, I find this interesting because when we think about demonology and demon possession, we think about like the exorcist or whatever, people going crazy, people in guttural voices, all kinds of wacky, sensational stuff. The reality is, though, that the devil operates in a lot of ways. He operates by lying to us primarily. John 8 says that the devil is the father of lies, but he also can operate through physical means, just by making people sick. You go, well, how do I know if I am sick or if I have a tummy ache demon, right? Which is it? Do I know? Interestingly, no. I don't know. And the Bible never gives me a way to determine the difference. And yet, as you look at the scripture, you see the activity of Satan in all of these sorts of ways. So what do we do? Well, first of all, we recognize that everything around us is not only physical, but also spiritual. Your physical body is made by God, therefore belongs to him. And there's a connection between your physical body and the spiritual world. It's not as if we are physical and then there's this whole other spiritual realm that's not connected. Your body is connected to your spirit, is connected to your mind, and God owns it all. And all of it is spiritual. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, what seems to be a physical problem often is a spiritual one. In fact, I would say every physical, mental problem is ultimately a spiritual one. And here's why. Not because we don't need to go to doctors, not because there's no such thing as the physical, but because ultimately the solution to all of these problems is found in Jesus. All right, so you have a tummy ache. Maybe it's because you ate some bad tacos. You go to the doctor, you get antibiotics, you get better. Guess what? You're still going to die. You're still going to die. Your body will break down and your body will die. Why? Because sin leads to death and we're under the curse of sin which leads to death. The only one who can overturn that is Jesus. Every problem is a spiritual problem that can be fixed by Jesus. You say, well, yeah, but should I start exercising, right, the demons of the tummy ache and my friend, you know, or something like that? Well, no, I don't think so. And in fact, I would say, uh, I think that the ability that Paul had and some of the apostles had to do these exorcisms is a special gift given to them by God. But the key is, what does Paul do? Paul submits the person to Jesus. As you look back in Acts chapter 16, as they're in Ephesus, if you remember, there was this young woman, this girl following them around who was possessed by a demon, and she kept calling out, these men are proclaiming the message of the Most High God, and finally Paul gets irritated with her. He turns around, and what does he say? In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out. That's not a magic formula. What that is, is Paul saying, Jesus needs to cast this out. The name of Jesus Christ is the authority of Jesus Christ. Paul submitted to Jesus Christ, believed in Jesus. It's Jesus who casts out the demons. It's Jesus who fixes the ailment. It's Jesus who makes the sick well. So as the devil is at work in the world, what we recognize is ultimately Jesus is bigger. Every problem, the ultimate solution is him. Because one day he will restore the earth to the way it was meant to be. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more sin. There will be no more death. There will be no more demon possession. I don't know if any of you guys ever saw the old TV show MacGyver. Uh, This was a popular show when I was a kid. Uh, MacGyver was a secret agent with a mullet. And his uh, 
basic uh, kind of shtick in this show was that he could do anything just with household items. Right, and there were two things that MacGyver always had with him. Anybody who's seen the show knows this. There were two items. One was a Swiss army knife, and the other was duct tape. And with a Swiss army knife and duct tape, he could do anything. You need to disarm a bomb, you can do it with a Swiss army knife, duct tape. You need to start a car, Swiss army knife, duct tape. You need to stop a plane or a train, Swiss army knife, duct tape. It doesn't matter. Thousands of problems, one solution, Swiss army knife, duct tape. As you look at the scripture, you see something very, very similar. Thousands of problems, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, whatever it may be, one solution. Jesus. And Paul and the apostles keep bringing people back to him. So you say, yeah, we go to doctors. Yes, maybe someone sees a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Yes, but above all, we pray and we submit the issue to Jesus Christ because he's the source of all life. He's the source of all healing. And so we turn first to him. And then what we see is the demons flee. James chapter 4 Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Those who submit to God and resist the devil see him run away. 1 John 4, 4, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The spirit that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If you know Jesus Christ, the spirit of God lives in you. And so you don't have to be afraid when people talk about demon possession or people talk about the devil or it seems like you're being tempted by the devil. You don't have to fear but instead you submit it to Jesus because he's stronger. And what we'll see, though, is that there is a danger in approaching the spiritual realm lightly and flippantly. We submit to Jesus and we turn these problems and issues over to Jesus, but we dare not take the issue lightly. Look at verses 13 to 16. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, and who are you, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I've always imagined that Luke probably had kind of a fun time writing this passage in particular, right? It's kind of a funny passage if you're honest, right? Because the issue is that, yes, Jesus is stronger than the demons, but Jesus will not be exploited by these exorcists. So here's what's going on. Throughout Ephesus and throughout the ancient world, there were exorcists and they would walk around and they would charge money. And if you said, I've got a demon or my brother has a demon, they'd say, okay, we can fix that. And they would come in with a little book. And in their little book would be all kinds of magic incantations. They would write down different names. They would write down gibberish words from other languages, maybe from Hebrew, maybe from Aramaic, whatever it may be. And they would chant this stuff out of their book. And then they would charge money and say, you're cured, you're you're exercised. Well, these guys, these seven sons of Siva, who it says is a Jewish chief priest, a high priest, these guys are going around and they hear Paul use the name of Jesus and see the demons flee. So they go, that's pretty good. We'll try this Jesus thing. So they walk in, seven of them, to one guy. And they say, by the name of Jesus, who that guy Paul is preaching, we tell you to come out. And the demon looks at him and says, Jesus, yep, I know him. Uh, I know Paul. I recognize Paul. Uh, Who the heck are you? And they jump on these seven guys and they beat the tar out of them. They take their clothes and they make them flee the house naked and bleeding. And what these guys find is that the spiritual realm is not an area to trifle. 
that apart from the power of God, you cannot defeat the powers of darkness. You cannot even defeat the smallest sin in your life apart from the power of Jesus Christ. Not through your willpower, not through some sort of chant, not through some sort of ritual. But instead, it is the power of Jesus through the Spirit who lives within you. These guys are playing with fire. I don't know if any of you actually literally played with fire when you were a kid. Uh, I did. Uh, frequently. Uh, maybe it's a guy thing, I don't know, but uh, we played with fire all the time, right? We would light toilet paper in the bathroom and try to drop it in right before it caught our fingers on fire, you know, just to see what was going to happen. My brothers and I, the, the worst incident growing up was my brothers and I actually started a fire on our driveway with a magnifying glass, started real small, hot summer day, got some leaves going, and so then we fed it a lot. You know, we went and we got a lot of twigs and a lot of branches, and within about 20 minutes, we had a bonfire as tall as we were on the driveway. Uh, My dad, sitting in his house, sees smoke coming by the window, right? Begins to go, why is there smoke coming by my window? Right now, he was actually, he had a broken leg at the time in a cast on crutches. I've never seen a man on crutches move as quickly as my father did to get out there and see what was going on. Uh, Extremely angry. Uh, He punished us severely. My brother and I actually, the only time my dad ever made us sit down and write essays about why what we did was not appropriate, Okay. Uh, we had no idea what we were playing with. We could have burned the house down. We could have burned the neighborhood down. Right? When they say don't play with fire, they mean it. Fire can quickly get out of control. It also kind of reminds me a little bit of a story I read a few years ago, one of my favorite true news stories. Uh, there was a man, his name was Antoine Yates. He walked into an emergency room in New York, and uh, he had bites on his arm. Uh, they began to treat them. They said, what happened? He said, well, I have a pit bull. The pit bull bit into my arm and injured me. Uh, the emergency workers were suspicious because the bite was huge. It was much larger than a typical dog or a pit bull. They began to question him more and more. And finally, they got the story out of him that what had happened was Antoine Yates actually was keeping a 400-pound Bengal tiger in his fourth-floor Harlem apartment. And uh, what had happened was he had adopted this little guy as a, as a tiger cub. It was cute, brought it into his home. Of course, it began to grow to the point where he would open the door and toss raw meat in and back up and close the door. Uh, he fancied himself as a lover of exotic animals, so he also had a full-grown alligator living in there as well. Uh, I'm not making any of this up. Full-grown alligator, full-grown tiger. Now, the problem emerged when he also bought a house cat. And uh, what happened was he's in there one day, and Snowball, or whatever the cat's name was, it was something like that, Snowball or Snowy, the, the cat is walking through, the tiger catches a glimpse of the cat and thinks, that's a nice snack, and begins to lunge at the cat. Antoine, to save his pet, steps in between the tiger and the cat. Tiger gets a hold of his arm. Somehow he manages to free himself, but not without a serious injury, right? Uh, shortly thereafter, of course, they send a SWAT team in to rappel down the side of his building and take out the tiger. Now, I love that story because I think this guy has no idea what he's messing with, right? You don't take a tiger into your apartment. That is just the dumbest thing you can think of. Even saying it sounds ludicrous that a person would ever do that. It's a tiger. It's a wild animal. It's huge. It's violent. That's what these guys are doing. They have no idea the power they're messing with. And they say, look, I'm going to get out my little book. I'm going to read it here. I'm going to defeat evil because I'm the son of Siva. And they just get the tar beaten out of them. Why? 
because they're trying to use the name of Jesus for their own gain instead of submit to Jesus in their proclamation of the gospel. And Jesus says, I won't be exploited. And what this validates actually is the power of the gospel, but also the danger of approaching evil and sin apart from the spirit of Jesus Christ. Why did it work for Paul? Because Paul knew Jesus. And Jesus operated through him. And Paul constantly pointed back to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Didn't work for these guys because they didn't know him. That's why the demon says, who are you? You're not aligned with him. You can't just use his name. It's not a magic formula. When we think about demon possession, when we think about uh, movies like The Exorcist or things like that, one of the reasons I don't watch them, it's not really because I think I'm going to have nightmares. It's because I don't think that demonism and that kind of spiritualism is the sort of thing to laugh at or be entertained by. Because it's real. And because it's serious. And it's not a matter of being entertained. One of the reasons that uh, I think that they're so popular is because we feel like we can sit at a safe distance and we can watch this evil world and not be affected or impacted by it. And the reality is that true spiritual warfare is going on all around us. So I think one of the ways that the enemy numbs us to the reality of sin, numbs us to the reality of evil around us is by making us think it's a game. When in reality, he's out to destroy. First Peter 5 eight that I mentioned earlier, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And the devil doesn't have to possess you or send a demon to live inside of you to destroy your life. Often he can do it just by lying to you, just by telling you that you'll be better off if you live your life your way instead of the way that God is calling you. If you use your body in this way instead of the way of holiness. He doesn't have to do crazy sensationalistic things. All he has to do is numb you to the reality of sin and evil and temptation and convince you to jump on board. It's a line from the end of The Usual Suspects, that movie that came out a number of years ago. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And there's an element of truth to that. If I think he's funny, if I think he's a game, then I don't begin to say, I want to submit all of my life to Jesus Christ. Because I need the power of Jesus Christ to overcome evil. So we don't just use Jesus as a salve or as a quick fix or as a magical formula. But we turn to him and say, God, evil is real. But you're greater. Jesus will not be exploited as these guys were wanting to do. Because ultimately, Jesus will glorify his name. Look at verses 17 to 20. Verses 17 to 20. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it, 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. You see what happens that the Ephesians hear about this, particularly the Ephesian Christians, and they go, man, I don't want to mess with that stuff. So they bring their own little magic books and they burn them because they say, we want to submit to Jesus. We no longer want to mess around. This is the guy in the basement with the Ouija board that says, I heard what happened to that other guy with a Ouija board. 
I don't want to mess with that anymore. So he brings it and he burns it. This is the guy who is tinkering with spiritual things, even though he believes in Jesus already. And so these men and women say, we don't want to have anything to do with false religion, false spirituality. And they bring these books and they burn them up. And as this city begins to see the power of God at work, more and more people are coming to know Jesus. Jesus uses this event to glorify himself. He doesn't use this event to go, wow, Paul should start selling those prayer cloths. Or to say, wow, look at how crazy all this demon stuff is. But instead, to point people to the life found in Jesus. Any preacher, anybody who talks about spiritual warfare, anybody who gives you advice on how to overcome Satan, better be pointing you back to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that is where power is found. And Jesus seeks to exalt his name above every other name. One of uh, my friends got married this past weekend. I was not able to go. It's always sad for me because I love weddings. I love going to them. I love performing weddings. It's such a joyful time. And as I'm doing a wedding, one of the things I always tell the bridesmaids and the groomsmen is that this is the bride's day, right? Uh, groom, sorry, but I know you're here. And yes, it is for both of you, but she's the one in the dress. She's the one with the flowers. She's the one that everybody needs to look at. So bridesmaids and groomsmen, I tell them, you need to revolve your body around her, right? As she comes down the aisle, you pivot like the moon around the earth, right? And you move and you look at her. Everybody watch her. It's not appropriate if you're sitting out there, you're watching the wedding, she comes down the aisle. It's not appropriate for you then to stand up and go, I love this wedding stuff, but hey, I've got a couple magic tricks I want to show you guys, right? Watch me juggle. You don't do that. It's not your day. Even the cute flower girl and the ring bearer have to sit down eventually and give way to the bride. Everything revolves around this marriage. In the same way, Everything revolves around Jesus. The universe revolves around Jesus Christ. And so as these demons attempt to destroy Jesus' work, Jesus' goal and Paul's goal is not to say, look what we can do. We can cast them out. We can do magic tricks. We can do all. Instead, the goal is to say, you need to turn to Jesus, the source of all authority in the universe. Because Jesus died and rose again. He defeated sin. He defeated the consequences of sin. He defeated death. And if you believe in him, you don't need to worry about the devil because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 1 Corinthians 1, to 24. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, we're not out to give fancy signs. We're not out to say smart things. Instead, we preach Jesus Christ crucified because that's where the power and wisdom of God resides. That was Paul's mission in life. So the question is, will you allow everything in your life to point to Jesus Christ? Will you allow Jesus to be the power behind your life? So that if you desire to overcome sin, if you desire to overcome temptation, if you see spiritual warfare and you become more and more aware of the spiritual battle going on around you, you don't become crazy or sensationalistic or whatever it may be, but instead you say it's all about Jesus and who he is and what he wants to do. A few quick applications then as we close. 
Right? First of all, recognize that there is a real spiritual battle all around us. Like I say, the physical is not all there is. Begin to pray. Begin to ask God to give you eyes and heart for the spiritual realities that are all around us. That angels and demons are at work. But ultimately, we submit everything to Jesus because he is more powerful. And we don't need to fear. And then in everything we do, we point back to the gospel. And for our friends who are hurting, our friends who are in sin, even if we have friends that think they're being attacked by demons, we point them back to Jesus Christ. And we encourage them to look to him for healing, for purity, for everything they need. Because he is the answer. And as we close, what we're going to do is we're going to sing some songs specifically designed to remind us of the power of Jesus Christ over all the powers of darkness, that he's stronger than anybody or anything. And as we do that, ask yourself, am I submitting my days, my weeks, my life to Jesus Christ and all he wants to do in and through me? Knowing that the true way to overcome evil and sin, the true way to overcome the forces and powers of darkness and Satan himself is by following Jesus Christ. So let's spend some time singing. Father in heaven, we thank you that your love for us is that strong, that you gave Jesus, our Savior, who is more powerful than the enemy, more powerful than evil, and will one day totally vanquish it. In the meanwhile, Father, allow us to trust in him and wait upon him as we look forward to that day. Father, make us faithful to you day in and day out to submit all of the cares and concerns of our life to you. We love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a wonderful week.